Today we welcome on his second ever pub day. Welcome to the podcast, Connor Sullivan. Thanks for having me, guys. We're excited because I read Sleeping Bear right when it came out, was flat out impressed, loved the book, and I've been savoring and waiting for some more <laughs> of your stories. And I got Chris to read it. And the minute he read it, said, man, we got to have this guy on the pod. So we're, <laughs> we're making that a reality today. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks for taking your time out of your busy day on on Pub Day. Congrats on that. Um, so by the time you guys are listening to this podcast, go out and get your copy of Wolf Trap. Great book. We weren't able to get you on uh, when Sleeping Bear came out, so I hope you you know will take some time to discuss that. Uh, but obviously, we want to we want to dig into Wolf Trap. You know that being your this year's novel, but we have a yeah, lot of questions sure. about Sleeping Bear. So yeah. Let me start with just tell us who is Connor Sullivan for people out there who haven't read either of your books. You kind of exploded onto the scene. You've got Emily Bessler on your team, David, the publicist. Our readers are very aware of both of those uh, voices in the industry. So how'd this all begin for you? <laughs> this probably my writing journey probably began about 10 years ago uh, when I was 21. Um, my goal before that um, was to make the Olympics in skiing. Um, I got kind of close and then I broke my leg and then was not able to rehab to compete at the level I was at. So I had to retire from that at around age 20, 21. And, and that's kind of when I, you know, I think deep in the back of my mind, I always wanted to be a writer. Um, my dad's a writer, but, you know, I was really into reading like Vince Flynn, Brad Thor, those type of books. And I just kind of just went, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take a run at this. And, you know, of course, eight years, nine years later, I'm published. Um, but yeah, I went to school for it. I, at the, at the time I kind of wanted to get into film and Hollywood. I dipped my toes in that a little bit. It wasn't for me, moved back home to Montana where I grew up and wrote Sleeping Bear, um, many, many times, but I would say, when I moved back to Montana a couple, about four or five years ago, that's when I put about six months in to do the draft of Sleeping Bear that ended up getting published. So that's kind of me. <laughs> yeah, we could definitely tell, you know, in Sleeping Bear, I mean, obviously mainly set in Alaska, but, you know, obviously your Montana roots really came through. And I noticed that, uh, I was talking to Mike, that I really thought Alaska itself became a character in that novel. and. Uh, we're, you know, we, this is the no limits pod, but we've also, we've broken down every Mitrap novel. We're in the middle of doing all of, uh, Brad's, uh, Brad's novels and we love a good setting. And I, I really enjoyed, you know, just being immersed in, in that area. I felt like, you know, you were taking me there and I could, I could visualize it, you know, perfectly. Yeah, I get that. I get that a lot. Um, people always say, you know, Alaska as a setting or Montana as a setting. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of with the Montana stuff. I'm just kind of putting up the mirror to what, you know, my life is like, you know, in kind of one of the more remote states in the world, in the country. You know, with the Alaska thing, I think I'll, people are always shocked to find out that that area of Alaska that I wrote about, I never went there. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, when I was writing Sleeping Bear, I had no money. I had no money to travel to Alaska. Um, so I just started like reading a ton about that area and then cold calling people who live in Eagle, Alaska. Hmm. 
I was watching a lot of Alaska state troopers to understand that. And then, you know, just cold calling these people. And it's pretty amazing what people, you know, when you call them, ex explain who you are. That time I was not published or even close to being published. And, you know, I would just kind of ask them questions about the profession. And I'd say 99% of them, they they love to talk about themselves and their jobs and especially, you know, a cool job like a, you know, a village public safety officer who gets by bush plane everywhere in Alaska. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that level of research really so shines through how much I felt on the ground. You even added a flair of the indigenous, the local cultures. You had the, the trooper who's kind of ruining the culture of the town, bringing all of his problems there. Yeah. And it, it, as you spoke, it reminded me of an early Vince Flynn, you know, since you brought up that you were a fan. Yeah. He was grinding it out, you know, in Minnesota, selling books out of the back of his trunk. He just he was going to make this thing happen. And his research, he just kind of wrote to the CIA and was like, hey, is there anybody who I can meet with who will just break yeah. things down and explain it? And we had on this podcast, Rob Richer, who took him in and later would become the chief of the Near East Division, something Mitch yeah. Rapino is very closely connected to. And I really see a lot of that hustle in, in what you're saying. How did yeah. you change that up for Wolf Trap? Because you're going to Saudi yeah. Arabia. You know, it's almost like palace yeah. intrigue. I felt like the way you captured Alaska, not just Alaska politics, but Alaska life and culture, you kind of got a piece of that here with the Saudi Arabian government. You really took us inside of their dynamics, their relationships and, and the power uh, plays. Yeah. Um, you know, again, you know, I, you know, I got my, I got a two book deal with Emily Bessler in, I think it was 2019, early 2020, you know, and I finally had the money to do research. Right. And then COVID. So oh, once wow. again, I was not able to leave my house. And again, I, I just, I just, you know, devoured books on Saudi Arabia, the Saudi Royal family. Um, and I'm also very lucky. I have a, amazing network of people who help me with my books, um, family, friends that I've known forever, friends of theirs that I became very close with over the years. Um, you know, a lot of these guys, they have been in Afghanistan for 20 years and they retire and they come to Montana. Um, a bunch of them are our neighbors and they have, you know, this knowledge that is hasn't really been seen before in fiction. Um, you, you do see it sometimes, but you know, I was able to really kind of get a peek behind the looking glass into ground branch and not just ground branch, but people very high up, you know, number three at the CIA, stuff like that, who, oh, wow. you know, can lead me in the right direction of a person who worked with the Saudis who go to these Saudi palaces. Um, so I'd always put, I'd always kind of put in these little, um, Easter eggs into what some of my friends have experienced at a Saudi palace. Um, you know, I don't know if it made the final cut of Wolf Trap, but there, there was a, a, a couple sentences about, you know, you go into one of the big palaces and you're in the most, you know, amazing room you've ever been in. And, you know, you think you're going to get served the best meal in the world. And the Saudis are notorious for when they invite Americans, they'll get like, a thousand Big Mac, you know, from, <laughs> in, from McDonald's and it's just McDonald's. And they're like, look who we got. And, you know, all these high level American diplomats or, you know, CIA guys are like, okay, uh, thank you. Like, you know, so I, you know, it's just little things like that, um, that I, you know, kind of like to like latch onto and put in my books. You, you know, to follow that up, 
something else you've put in both books is this firm connection, not exactly a one-to-one with reality, but very close hints. I mean, as I think through it, you had a Khashoggi-style character here, even a name that was similar. Yeah. You, you've got a crown prince kind of reminding me of MBS. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a Joe Manchin type of character, this West Virginia politician. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're making some really, really uh, close analogies here to the real world. Is that something you've done purposefully? Has that just come through your writing? Or were you doing, I feel like you were doing it consciously. I mean, you even had Putin, you know, yeah. in book one, Putin in a bathrobe. Yeah. Um, yeah. With the sleeping bear, with the Putin thing. Yeah. That was definitely <laughs> something I put in. Um, I actually had to tone that down a lot. Really? Um, okay. Emily made me, Emily was like, look, we don't want <laughs> you getting poisoned. <laughs> um, so yeah, that scene, I did change that uh, to make it more palatable. But uh, it was still pretty funny. Yeah. It was good. It was good. Yeah. We got the point. Yeah. Um, in terms of Wolf Trap, and you know, I I would say that every single event that happened in Wolf Trap is based on a real event that I've heard on the news, but mostly through my network of friends. Um, the craziest thing that you wouldn't think is real happened, and I think, and you know, I always, you know, someone would be like, "Well, you know, this that was seemed kind of outlandish. Like, how could you?" you know, shoot a dead body and make it look real. Well, that was real. That was based off of something my friend did um, and had to do. So, you know, it, it, and then the Khashoggi, I wanted to write, you know, about the royal family and their corruption, what they're doing. Um, you know, at first in the early drafts of it, I didn't even change their names. It was the people, it was Khashoggi. It was that. Really? And then I, yeah. And then I changed it. Cause I was like, I don't want to get, you know, whacked. <laughs> so I just, wow. you know, I, I, I had to change their names and then I kind of took what happened and then extrapolated it. Like what would happen if Khashoggi lived, you know, what if they were able to get to him a couple of days before? Um, so I just kind of did, I took reality and I tweaked it a little bit and I extrapolated, you know, it, and I made it kind of a little bit bigger than life in certain spots, but yeah, definitely did it on purpose. So I thought so. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you, you know, both of these are standalones and that kind of makes you, I don't want to call it outlier, but just a little bit different. I guess we're, especially in this thriller, thriller genre, people tend to write series. Was that like a conscious thing that you wanted to do or did you, did you want to write a novel? Because we could have more Cassie and Papa Gale, like that, that end scene in, in, uh, and sleeping bear, you know, I, I just, I assumed we were going to get more of them, but you know, what, what was your thought process for that? Yeah. So with sleeping bear, you know, that was just a weird idea that came to me. Um, you know, I just, the concept was so kind of outlandish and I, I wanted to just try to make it seem as plausible as possible. Um, the, the Brian Rome character in wolf trap, I've had that character in my head for, you know, 10 years. And, you know, at the time it was like a Navy SEAL, he was like a Navy SEAL. And then, you know, all that kind of got really, you know, there's a lot of that going on right now with, you know, Jack Carr is a Navy SEAL, Brad Thor. So I wanted to do something a little bit different. And I always wanted to write this book. Um, So I knew when I finished Sleeping Bear, I was going to take a stab at, you know, this character in a completely different standalone. Um, And I am writing a sequel to Wolf Trap right now. Um, about halfway done with that. 
So I will be doing um, hopefully, you know, a series with the Brian Rome character is, you know, if people are buying it, I'll keep, I'll keep writing it. Um, and, you know, writing Sleeping Bear, I, I, I never intended it to be a series. I just thought it was going to be a standalone. I mean, you guys have to understand when I was writing Sleeping Bear, I, I thought I had a better chance of like winning the Powerball than getting it published. So it wasn't yeah. like, there was nothing in my head of like, oh man, the sequel. No, it was just, I'm going to write this thing. No one's ever going to see it. It's going to go in the bottom of a drawer or whatever. Um, so I was just very lucky with that, but you know, I, that being said, I, I do, I think I will eventually write a sequel to sleeping bear. I just have to figure out, you know, what I'm going to write about, you know? So, right. No, I, I almost appreciate that, you know, just wanting to tell a good story and you could tell that you, you had a good story and you weren't worried about this, you know, universe We're, we're we live in the world of IP right now. And it's all yeah. about, you know, what can we, you know, dollar, dollar, dollars, how, how can we, I mean, obviously, you know, we, I'm very interested in this Rome character going forward. So I'm, I'm going to keep buying your books, but you know, I just appreciated, you know, just the telling of a good story. We don't, I, I don't often see that now, especially in this genre. So. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I did want to try to do two different standalones for my first two books. I have not really seen that in the genre ever. Right. Um, no. So we'll see if it works. <laughs> yeah. And something Chris brought up to me when we were talking about the books and we were both at first like, whoa, wait, this is a standalone. It's not book two. Mm -hmm. And and we were kind of like, well, that makes it very accessible. You know, sometimes if you're trying to introduce a reader to Scott Harvath and they're like, whoa, there's 20 whatever books. Where do I even begin? It could, it could be a barrier or it can seem overwhelming. It's kind of cool that you have these different stories you know, hey, what are you into? If someone's into more female protagonist, army ranger, kind of mm -hmm. family dynamic, go there. Or Brian yeah. Rome, you know, kind of someone dealing with a lot of personal struggles who kind of isolated himself. Mm -hmm. You're kind of, you're, you're throwing a lot at the wall, seeing what sticks. A lot of it is sticking and that's going to allow different entry points for different types of readers. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Although I see some similarities now that I think about it. Cassie Gale also was kind of going off onto her own. You talked about doing something different. I feel like something else different you've brought to the genre with both characters. They're kind of loners and there's a lot of solitude in, in each of them. And sometimes that's very healthy. Sometimes it is unhealthy and you've kind of been playing with that idea. Is that something in your storytelling that just comes naturally? Is it something you identify with? Because both characters, they wanted to escape in a sense not just escape the bad stuff, but even escape was their therapy, you know, with Cassie going out on this trip. Was that something you're aware of? And cause that really came through in your writing. That's interesting. I've never had anyone kind of put it like that. You know, that might be coming from, you know, me in my life. I mean, I went, I kind of left Hollywood to go, you know, shack up in Montana and write books, you know, <laughs> and I, I kind of just put everything into it. I, you know, I didn't have a backup plan. It was just this. Um, so maybe that was, and, and I did, you know, I really cut down on my social life and I really put a lot of time, you know, into learning the craft. So maybe that's some of it. Um, just, you know, veteran friends I've had who, you know, are getting out of, you know, years in conflict zones they, they, they'll, they'll isolate themselves. And I've seen it. And, you know, that's not a very good place to, 
you know, have them be a unique, they need help a lot of the times. And so I think, I think that isolation had to do, you know, with my life and a little bit what I was seeing, you know, some of my friends go through. But, yeah, I could see that. It, it, yeah. it takes on that personal level, that empathetic level for yeah. sure. I guess just to follow up on that, like what would you say makes a Connor Sullivan book? Like what, what are, <laughs> what, what, is it, what does it got to have to be a Connor Sullivan book? I don't, I don't even know if I know that yet. I feel like Connor mm, okay. doesn't really know what he's doing yet. <laughs> he's fair just enough, fair enough, fair enough. throwing things at the wall, seeing what's sticking. I would say right now, it's just my research. I research so much and to the point where it's like pretty much just high level procrastination uh, of not yeah. writing. But, you know, I, you know, I, I think that when I decided to write in the genre, you know, I went back and this is probably seven, yeah, seven or eight years ago when I decided to go into the genre, you know, I went to Barnes and Noble and I bought every paperback I could of, you know, Vince Flynn, the Brad Thors, you know, every, everything. And I just kind of just went page by page making notes with a red pen for months of like, you know, what's here, what's not. What can I add to this, you know, in as a young guy breaking into the genre? Because you still want to do it, have it be the same, but you want it to be different. You wanted to have your, you want to have your own kind of spin on it. Um, and I, and that's just kind of what I did. I just, you know, and whatever that process led me to, and I guess that, that put me here. So the process is working. <laughs> Trust the process, <laughs> as they say. <laughs> So I like, uh, we like a, co- a good cover on this book. I got to be honest. We, a big part of our podcast is we like to not judge the book by the cover, but judge the cover by the book. Yeah. And I think all three that I've seen, because I've seen two covers for Sleeping Bear. I'm not aware if there's any more, but those are rock solid. The Wolf Trap one is awesome. Uh, I'm vibing with all of them. Like, can you tell us how much input you had on that? What was it like when you first saw the designs and the mock-ups? W- were you overall satisfied with how these came out? Oh yeah. I, I love every single cover they've given me. Um, I have had zero say in everything that has been done. I, I have not process. Trust the process. I haven't even been able to name one of my books. Um, that's all Simon and Schuster. (laughs) So I'm two really, yeah, I'm zero for two on that. They didn't like (laughs) any of my names, which is fine. But yeah, I really, you know, I was, I love the, um, the blue cover on the paperback yeah. of sleeping bears. Yes. I w- I kind of wish that was the, you know, original one. Cause when they showed me that, I was like, that's incredible. Like that's an it incredible sign. Um, and then with wolf trap, I just, I loved it. It wasn't actually until I got the, um, the hard covers a couple of weeks ago of wolf trap that I noticed that some of the wolves are just floating in the snow. There's no prints behind them. So I, I wish yeah. I would have caught that. I never caught that. And I haven't had anyone catch it either. But if you look really carefully at the tracks going through, oh yeah, there's bear tracks heading up, and that's kind of an homage to Sleeping Bear. There's wolf tracks oh. and then a set of bear tracks heading up, which I thought was pretty cool. Man, I mean the shadows too are a nice touch because the shadows make yeah. you think they're really there. Where if you're missing a detail like the tracks in the wrong place, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, because you know, the shadows make it look real. Yeah. But yeah, I, I love the Wolf Trap cover. I, I think it was it's so great. So I guess you, you kind of touched on something that, you know, we 
we've we asked this question to almost everyone we've had on, but you're the first one to like sort of be honest with us. But what sort of goes into that process of like naming a book? Like you you come and say, "This is what I want," and they're like, uh, "I like this one instead." Like, how does it work? <laughs> Um, and it happened to Vince Flynn, his first book, Term Limits. He had a god awful uh, title for, and yeah. it was before he published. I think it was Friends or somebody was like, "There's no way you're using that title." I think it was Stand Up for Your Rights or something. His first book, yeah, oh, that's what yeah, it was called. And they were like, "No way!" Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, the um, for Sleeping Bear, I didn't even have a title. I think when I sent it in to my agent, I I just I was like, I can't figure out what like what this could be called because i mean the, the the book like kind of invades multiple genres and I, I just didn't understand and then my agents came up with uh sleeping bear and i thought that was just genius and then i went back and kind of incorporated the new title into the book a little bit and then with wolf trap i i had a completely different name for it based off the name of the operation that was being carried out um mm -hmm. and then Simon and Schuster kind of put the gave like the no on that pretty quick once I handed them the manuscript. And then uh what did oh that was right. So they were like, it's gonna be called Wolf Trap. And I kind of just like blinked and I was like, there's no wolves in my book. And they're like, well, you better get to rewriting. <laughs> so I'm I put in there in my book. <laughs> that works though, because judging a cover by the book, we always say it has to relate to the setting and a scene. And I'm now, I didn't see this connection until you brought that up. I'm now mm -hmm. feeling like I'm Brian Rome. You know, I'm on that <laughs> ledge. I'm, I'm having that bird's eye view down at the wolf pack and looking at this cover now, I'm kind of freaked out because <laughs> I didn't think about it that way. And yeah. it goes back to this idea of that. I, I said, it's almost like a psychological thriller with what he's going through with the depth mm -hmm. of emotion you take us to. Mm-hmm. Were you going for a psychological thriller? Because when we're in Brian Rome's head, it's really captivating. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I really, you know, when I was studying the genre, one thing I really noticed were a lot of cardboard characters, a lot of not a lot of what's going on in this person's head and why. So, you know, I wanted to take a stab at kind of doing more of a deep dive into having a little more well-developed characters. Um, you know, most of the characters in my book are based off of real people that I either know or, you know, that are on the news. So I was able to really like, you know, dive into the Cassie Gales and Sleeping Bear and Jim Gales and then the Brian Rome character in, uh, in Wolf Trap. But yeah, I, I definitely wanted to, it to be more well-rounded. This is great. I, uh, you know, just a, a sort of a side question. What were you doing in Hollywood on your online? It said you were reading, uh, uh yeah. screenplays. Is that, yeah. Yeah. So I was a script reader. I basically, I worked for Warner brothers and my job was to sit into a, in a room when I wasn't covering a desk so covering a desk is you work for like a producer or a director or whatever. And you just answer phones and you're in charge of the schedule. It's a miserable existence. Um, I knew I wanted to be a writer, so I kind of took even a lower rung position just to read scripts. So for a couple of years, I just sat in a room and I read thousands of scripts. Um, and that, you know, I went to school for writing. I, looking back on it, I wouldn't say I learned anything that much. You don't need to go to school to be a writer whatsoever. You do need to study the craft 
and write for years and just deal with, you know, rejection all the time. You know what I mean? So like, and, and so that's, so my schooling was at Warner brothers sitting in a room reading scripts and because scripts, you know, you can read a script in an hour and a half, you know, I would could just blow through these things where it takes like 10 hours to read a book. So I was able to, it was kind of a, like, I was able to study the craft of storytelling in a condensed version. So it was like, you know, what works in this script, what doesn't work in this script, how can I translate that into novel writing in terms of the, you know, the broad story. And that's kind of where I, if I were to look back on like, you know, the most beneficial time in my life career wise, it was deep diving into scripts, then transitioning into the genre and then, you know, having my own twist, putting my own twist on it. Learning on the job. Yeah, for sure. Have you crossed paths with Chris Howdy? I know he just came onto the scene, I guess around yeah. COVID, but yeah, we've had him on three times and we like to dig into his screenwriting background mm-hmm. as a, a writer in Hollywood and who, who's produced multiple of his works on screen. And you totally see that come through in his writing, just something with his dialogue and his crisp maneuvering through uh, the plot. It, it almost it grips you and it forces you forward just because it's almost like you're reading a, a yeah. movie script. Mm-hmm. And I feel like your books, it's a slight different lesson you learn from those screenplays. I'm wondering about these mysteries that you set up for us, you know, like in TV or, or movies, it's always a mystery box. There's that mm-hmm. one thing the audience doesn't know. And yeah. that's what keeps you on the edge of the seat and drives the plot. Yeah. I mean, you did it in Sleeping Bear, right? We had, and maybe my favorite part of the book, on the trail of Cassie going missing and these almost forensics of how the tent is ripped and mm-hmm. what items they find left behind and how the dog's reacting. And then here, you give us this mystery box of the villains, the plot, right? There, mm-hmm. There's nicknames, there's secret code words, there's this cabal, you know, pulling the strings behind the scene. It's, it's almost Wizard of Oz-esque. Do you feel like that's something you you adapted or learned from the storytelling through screenplays, kind of leaving yeah. the, the reader with a little bit of mystery? Yeah, so 100%. So like what you were saying about that box, I use a different term for it. So I use that, you say the mystery box of like, you know, what's happening, the audience has to figure it out. Um, I call it the question tool. And that question tool serves as a vehicle for, you know, your book or your screenplay. So I always like to, you know, take my favorite book, which is Dennis Lehane's Mystic River. Have you guys read that book? Mm, very good. Didn't read it. Saw the movie. Yeah, I suggest reading that book. The movie's it's a better book. Yeah, yeah, the, the book, movie's I mean, really good. But yeah, the movie's one of my favorite movies. But like that, that book, man. There's something about that book. So if you were to if you were to dissect that book, which I have many times, the the vehicle, the question tool is who killed. Sean Penn's daughter, right? Who killed Katie Marcus. And that whole time they're bringing you along for a ride. You know, that, that mystery box is finding the girl's death. You know, um, Gillian Flynn, who wrote Gone Girl, studied Mystic River, and then she wrote uh, Sharp, Sharp Objects and then, you know, Gone Girl. Um, and she said the same. I heard her in an interview say kind of the same thing. She said, I wanted to write, when I wanted to write Sharp Objects, I wanted to write about domestic abuse in women, 
right? And when she was writing drafts of it, she couldn't figure out what the hell her book was about. It was just a bunch of nonsensical violence. And then she went back and looked at Mystic River and said, oh, the vehicle is the question to a missing girl. And then she went back and put in, you know, essentially the plot of what drives sharp objects. So that's kind of what I always try to do in my books is like with Wolf Trap, there was multiple questions and a, a web of complexity, kind of probably too much of it because it drove me insane to write it. <laughs> but I, I don't know how you kept track of a lot of what's going on there. That web was intricate. That was it almost really deep stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I always joke that I, you know, I basically wrote Wolf Trap the opposite way that I should have written Wolf Trap. I should have everything laid out. But instead, like an idiot, I had this amazing setup of what was going to happen. I wrote the first third of the book 20 times, thought I was good. And then I had four or five months left to write the whole book. And I don't know. I mean, I always was talking about a conspiracy in the beginning of the book. And as a writer, you know, I the book was due in four or five months. I didn't even know what the conspiracy was. I had to sit down and write it out. And it was, and I, you know, my brain just made it so complex. It was just a disaster, but I think it worked. I think I, I think I kind of pulled it off. So it's definitely much more of a cerebral book, I would say, than Sleeping Bear. Like yeah. you're, you're really trying to categorize everything and, and understand it. It's almost like you created though. Here's the real cool part of it is the verisimilitude. You feel like this is a real administration, you know? Mm -hmm. Every author who does this is going to have a president, going to have director of the CIA, you know, the DCI and a DNI, and you're going to be in the sit room. Mm -hmm. But this was the first time I felt like I was in the sit room and it was packed. You know, usually yeah. I'm there with one or two characters. I'm like, yeah. this can't be real. It's not going to be three people in a room making these decisions. But with you, it's like this really felt like how it would be. I've got 18 different voices. I've got people, the backbenchers, right, sitting near the door off to the side. Yeah. I've got people running around in the background. I feel like you created a whole administration soup to nuts yeah i know and i'm a complete idiot for making it back <laughs> like i was just when i was writing it i was just cursing myself because it's like you know, when you when you set out to write a book you have an idea of it or you have you have kind of a a sense of what you want it to be and then you then have to sit there and i call it like chopping wood you know, like you got to just mm. chop wood every day. And that, that's just writing and trying to get the, the vision in your head on paper, right? That's so hard. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, you just kind of, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be exactly what you wanted it to be, but it'll be something kind of close to it. And that's how, that's, how I kind of rationalized finishing Wolf Trap when I did. But, you know, I will say in, in the, the sequel that I'm writing right now, I, I force myself to write an outline, get it done, figure everything out beforehand. And it, the writing is so easy right now. It's like kind of panic inducing. I'm like, what am I doing wrong here? <laughs> you know, is something, am I going to hit a wall? Like it's going too well. Um, but I really focus on not having the plot be just bonkers. Like I really made it pretty dang simple and I'm focused more on re character relationships and character building as opposed to, <laughs> you know, crazy. Yeah. 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 I was, I was just about to ask you, are you 
a pantser or a plotter? And you, so you, for this book, you're you're going you're you're going more plotter than. I I would say I'm both. Um, I okay. I pants and then I plot when I need to. Um, yeah, my dad basically made me outline my third one. He's just like, do you ever want to go back to how stressed you were in the last five months of that book? And I said, absolutely not. He's like, just you know then figure it out right now before you start writing. So that's what I've done. Learning on the job, like we said. Yeah. Yeah. So that pants are a plotter. We get to give a shout to the crew reviews crew. I'm I'm pretty sure you've been on with them. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great guys. Okay. We don't have as much bourbon here, but uh, maybe next time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Lessons learned. I, I can't wait to see what you've got in store for that book. I mean, you took us to Alaska, you took us to Russia, I was quite frankly surprised we went to the Middle East this time. Can you give us a little hint at, at what's coming in the next one? Yeah, so I will say that it has to do with China. Um, yes. But the majority of the book takes place in New York City. Okay. Huh. Um, yeah, I just needed to stop globe hopping so much. But yeah, it's going to take place in New York City. It'll be you know more of a domestic type threat. And then... It's going to head over to China and then it's going to get complicated again, I'm sure. <laughs> when China's in play, it gets very complicated. Yeah. But. We've, we've noticed a lack of, you know, it's been touched on some, but it, it seems like it's too easy, not easy, but like, a, you know, an enemy sitting right there to be used mm-hmm. as a villain or, or as, a, as a, you know, you know, in your novel. And for some reason, you know, I think, I think Brad has touched on it a little bit. Um, you know, but like Kyle has been not willing to go there. Uh, some of the other novels, you know, they, they, they're, you know, fo- either really focus internally, you know, because of, you know, as we, whatever our nation is right now. Um, but you have this like villain, you know, over just sitting over here. I, I'm, I'm excited that you're, you're going to go there. Yeah. It's going to be, it'll be fun. Um, I think I got a pretty good plot drawn out on this one and it's working. So we'll see. Nice. But, uh. When you sit down to write, like, mm-hmm. do you just do? You, is it morning or afternoon? You just like bang out a couple hours. Like, wh- what's it, what's your process? So it depends on where I am um, in the process. Um, okay. My wife likes to call it like the beginning, my honeymoon phase with my book, because I have this idea in my head. It's so great. I have you know 12, 11 months to write it. It seems like all the time in the world. I just, it's like that. Uh, it's like when you watch a movie about a writer, they're just sit down and just write their novel. It, it's not, that's as far from what it's actually like. But the first like month or two of me writing a novel is pretty much that. I, you know, will sit down and I have inspiration and then I'll kind of just float around and do what I want. And then usually like when I'm nine months out, it goes to very strict regiment. So sometimes I will write from like eight in the morning to noon, take a two hour break. I usually go do something outside, taking the dogs for a walk, go on a hike, shoot my bow, just something that's not writing. And I'll come back and then I'll do about a three hour session in the afternoon. Um, When it gets more to crunch time, I'll usually start writing around like 11 in the morning. And then I will write till like midnight. So I'll write about 13 hours straight. And that's when I'm like, I need to finish my book. Um, and then I'll sleep 
make sure to, I'll probably sleep into like eight or nine, get eight hours. And then I'm super strict with my diet. Cause it's like, you know, if you eat a pizza and you try to write, you're going to fall asleep. Like, I'll just tell you right now. Yeah. You got to stay, you got to like really fuel your brain, like in like no alcohol in those last couple of months, you know, it's just like, I got to be like on it. So disciplined. So sounds like a good way to lose some weight, right? <laughs> write, yeah. a book. write a book. <laughs> oh. New weight loss. <laughs> oh yeah. That the writing wolf trap was so horrible on my body. Like I like withered away. I was sitting down all the time and I just, oh uh, yeah. And that's not good. So yeah, I'm, I definitely now like I, I work out at some point in the day, every day doing something because then, you know, your brain's ready. Like your, your body feels right. good. Your brain feels good. And you can actually be the most productive. Um, so that's what I do. Well, thanks for taking us behind the curtain of a day in the life. It's, it's real interesting. We've had like super veteran authors on, we've had people with their first book and you're kind of right in that healthy middle, you know, working on number three, sharing the lessons that you've learned. I really like that. You know, we want to respect your time on pub day here. You had a long one. Just something occurred to me as we were talking, and I didn't think this was the plan, but in my mind, I keep coming back to it. There's no reason these two characters can exist in the same universe. Yeah. I mean, the whole plot has really nothing to do with the other in terms of there's no conflict of like what Cassie went through in Russia and Alaska could still have been happening with Custer and, and crew doing what they're doing in Wolf Trap. Is there an opening? Is is the door open a little bit to kind of see... Cassie, Brian, Paul, Brady, Gail, one day on the ground together. <laughs> I get that a lot. So this is uh, when I went out, I think when I first started Wolf Trap, it was in the same universe. Um, and then I got advice uh, from James Patterson and he told me, do not have it in the same universe. And I ah, said, why? And I said, why? And he goes, you know, all that. Uh, attention you're getting right now in Hollywood with Sleeping Bear. And I said, yes. He goes, they cut you a check basically for the option of that book, right? So they they cut a check for to option Sleeping Bear and you know they hold it for 18 or 24 months and then they pay you again. But in the contract, every, in every kind of option contract is like this, they want an option to the universe, not the book, mm. right? So, so own your um, other content. So now I they're completely different. So now when Hollywood's coming for Wolf Trap, I get paid twice. I get paid for Sleeping Bear and Wolf Trap. Now, if I put one character and they shared a universe, the universe was shared, right. the person who just optioned me owns Wolf Trap. Wow. So oh, Patterson wow. figured that out pretty early in his career. And, you know, he has some hilarious stories of, you know, about that, but he, uh, yeah, he told me to split them up because you're just going to be getting paid more money, you know, for essentially the same amount of work. So wow, it's worked out. It was great advice. I, that plus your screenwriting background, you can talk to talk about that and really, really understand that advice. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. So it was amazing advice. And I really, I tell, I always tell writers to, to do that. So we still want more Cassie. We still want more Gail. Yeah, I know. One day, one day I am going to, I am going to do that. I don't know when that's going to be, but (laughs) I need to figure, I gotta, I gotta have some inspiration for the story first. Maybe, maybe Gail will go missing or something. I don't know. (laughs) We'll see.
All right. Well, we'd like to close out this podcast by asking, you know, what what is the last great thing you've either watched, read, uh, TV show? You know, when you have free time, what what's the last great thing you've seen? Um, what's the last really good thing I've seen? Um, have you guys ever read the book? Or I mean, I'm, I've only I haven't read the book. I've only seen the TV show. It really flew under the radar. It's called Zero Zero Zero. Have you heard even heard of this? No, I heard about it. I wanted I wanted yeah. to watch it. Yeah, I've had a lot of people tell me to watch it, and I kind of just blew it off because it, it, it just looks like you know kind of what Narcos is, and I love Narcos. The first couple of seasons of Narcos, but zero 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 is about the drug trade, but it's about the actual like mules, like the international mules, like mm-hmm. on cargo ships, and it's based oh, wow. off of real life. So the guy who wrote the book wrote it, I think it was published a long time ago, like 12, 15 years ago. And I'm pretty sure he's still in hiding from the cartel. Like he, wow. he can't, because he just really opened the door on it. And they made, I want to say it's on Amazon Prime, but I mean, it really flew under the radar and it's fantastic. All right, let's check that out. Yeah, that sounds good. You mentioned the shipping containers. I read a book about inside the world of international cargo shipping Mm-hmm. And like, it was nonfiction. It was a journalist. It was a woman who embeds herself with a crew that goes across the oceans. Mm-hmm. There's a thriller novel there. I was reading oh, yeah. this journalist's account, this oh, female yeah. on one of the ships. It's lawlessness. It's a whole nother world out there. Oh, it's like, crazy. This is, this is ripe for a thriller. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it was a great show. It was so well done. Me and Chris Howdy always talk about that show together. I feel like we're the only two who've ever seen it, but we love to really love to talk about that. And the other one I really liked that came out a couple of years ago was um, it's called counterpoint or counterpart. Yes. With JK. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 That was what really well done. I like that. Really cool premise. Makes you think. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. I was, I was bummed that got, uh, that got canceled. It didn't get continued. Right, right, right. Well, Connor, we had a blast talking with you and I'm yeah, just going to end nice. with two quotes here from people we love on this podcast. As Jack Carr says, Wolf Trap, a must-read thriller from a brilliant new talent in the genre. And James Patterson says, remember the author's name. Our audience will absolutely remember your name after picking up these two books. Thanks for joining us tonight, Connor, and congrats on book number two. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, guys. That was a blast. All right. We need to thank our patrons, our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, Kevin Daryl, George, Matt, Dawn, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Please subscribe, rate, and review using Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can find us online at thrillerpod.com or on Twitter and Instagram at thrillerpodcast. And as always, just like Gail, be Gail. <laughs>